You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to TechFan239. Apologies for not doing a show last week. I actually did record one. Uh, I was running a solo show, um, but when I got to edit it, the audio was terrible and it wasn't really usable. There wasn't anything I could do to fix it, so I didn't have time to record it again. However, I'm able to record this week, and uh, this week I have a co-host. Uh, as you know, Tim is away, but I have a long-time friend of the show, Owen Rubin, with us. Hello, Owen. David, how are you? And I'm... I was supposed to be there last week, and uh, ended yeah, up you... deciding to have my arm cut on instead. <laughs> you had, uh, yeah, and, and you, I've, you you just given me the story, so this was, uh, this was not planned surgery. This was something that that kind of had a, you had an accident. I did. So everybody's talked about how these hoverboards, which yeah. by the way is the worst name and come up with a new name. It's not <laughs> yeah. a hoverboard. Um, how dangerous they are. And, and I got injured by one and sadly I wasn't actually riding it <laughs> and it didn't blow up. Um, yeah. we had someone come into our office who thought they could ride it, jumped up on it, uh, didn't know how to ride it. It, became very dangerous very quickly. When I asked him to get off, he tried to jump off of it and it threw him. And in trying to be the good Samaritan and not have one of our potential clients crack his head open on the concrete, I braced him as he was starting to fall down and he grabbed my arm on the way down and sort of gave it a straight down tug. And uh, there was a small little popping sound in my arm and it didn't hurt right away. Yeah. But um, the doctor basically said the tendon has detached from the bone. Wow. The bicep tendon. So um, that happened about a month ago, and they've been working through it and said, okay, did an MRI. We have to go into surgery to reattach it if you want it reattached. I'm <laughs> guessing some people choose not to do it. What? Well, uh, I, I mean, well, what are the implications of not having it fixed? I, I would imagine that's kind of something you need to have. Well, so I asked. Well, the doctor was kind of funny, but he goes, he goes we'll, we'll do the surgery if you wish to do it. And yeah. so I've asked around and there are people that have had these detached in other places that they just don't do it. You lose – it's this, the pain goes away after a while. I, I must say it took almost two months before we had the surgery done mm. and the pain started at like a six out of ten and then slowly worked its way down to a one and in some days I didn't even notice it at all. Um, but you have no strength. Right, uh, because you can't use that particular muscle that that tendon was attached to. Uh, in this case, and it, it also makes your muscle pop up, right? Because there's nothing pulling it taut. Mm-hmm. So you get this really weird Popeye-looking arm, uh, and it was still usable. I could do, I could use it for you know for general things. Typing was a little hard, as long as I didn't do any rotational uh, twists or like bicep curl lifts. You know that kind of where you yeah. where you up with the arm curled. It actually was fine, um, although I you lose the strength in the arm, and I thought, well, you know, it's a little early to lose an arm. Was this uh, was this your left or your right arm, and are you left or right-handed? I'm right-handed, and it was my left arm, luckily. Right. Okay. I I still I would find it difficult to comprehend somebody who who might not have that done if it leaves you kind of with effectively a, a partial disability. Yeah, I I was with you. So yeah. um, the part that was funny is I asked the doctor after some period of time before he did the surgery. So how do you reattach this? Which was um, an interesting tech. So he started the sentence with, well, we drill a hole all the way through the bone. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you shoot me in the arm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. And I guess they attach a mesh back to the tendon. Well, first they have to pull the tendon back because I guess it creeps up your arm. Mm. 
it, it works its way back. And luckily for me, it got hung up on something. So he said it was actually easier to get to. Right. Um, but they have to pull it and stretch it back, sew it to this mesh, and then they push the mesh through the hole that pulls the tendon through, and they kind of button it up on the back side. And then you wait for your that hole to knit closed like a broken arm would. Right. And it, and as he put it, the tendon and the bone know what to do. You know, I, I made a comment, a kind of a off the cuff comment to Tim on the show a few weeks ago, where I said, you know, how come, uh, you know, we've we've got all this genetic computing related biotech going on, but general medicine doesn't seem to be advancing as fast as I might think it was. And I, I mentioned, I made this comment to my wife. Uh, a few days after we recorded the show, uh, and she very quickly put me straight. She used to work as a theatre nurse, and she says okay. the things they do are incredible. The things yeah, they can I'm repair, and 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 I think this this kind of sounds sounds like one of it to come up with an idea like that to drill a hole through and have everything so so you can kind of force the tendon to knit back, grow back into the bone is 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 quite a um, quite a mar- miraculous procedure. Well, and then they did it with – well, I'm, I'm actually, this, my bandage is actually slipping off, so I'm going to retighten it while I'm talking to you, so pay no attention to the ripping noise. Um, the cut on my arm is maybe an inch and a half long. Mm-hmm. It's a little tiny, little tiny cut. So it's it, – they didn't even have to, like, open the arm up. Yeah. They did it with a small little L-shaped, L-shaped cut. And that amazes me, too, with all this – what do they call it? Orthoscopic – is that the right word? Yeah, the, the kind of this keyhole type surgery. Yeah. Anyway, I apologize to listeners today, by the way. I'm on pain drugs, so my brain <laughs> is kind of mushy. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you uh, I think you probably deserve all the painkillers you can get at this point. Um, so, so how long before you're going to be back to normal, do they think? A um, couple months. Yeah. So, yeah. They, so basically, I guess I start some kind of um, uh, physical therapy where they just try to get the range of motion back in. Yeah, because uh, right now I have to. I haven't. They they had me in this metal. I want to call it a cast. It's not really a cast. It's a it's a piece of metal that they. God knows how they formed it to my arm, since mm-hmm. I was out. Yeah. Um, they form it to your arm, and then it holds your arm in place. And then it was you know bandaged with ace like bandages holding it in place, and um, that it actually felt okay, a little claustrophobic at times. But it keeps you from bending your arm. And mm-hmm. this Friday, I just saw the doctor, and he says, "Ah, oh, we don't need that," and threw it threw it aside. And then he says, "Oh, by the way, don't bend your arm." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so the, I have to hold it in yeah. a sling now, which right. I'm putting back on as we speak. That is the uh, other thing I I found as I've sort of dealt with medical people um, is you get these very big differences of approach and opinion. Um, when I when I broke my uh, broke my spine in that car accident a, few, a couple of years back. Um, oh, yeah, I remember that. They, yeah, that they, awesome. they kind of – they also formed – this was in France. They formed this big kind of uh, fiberglass shell that kind of I wore as a – almost like a corset. It, it was a front and back piece that, you know, kind of – Iron did, Man. Yeah, it was. In fact, I, I have a picture of myself somewhere with a – I put one of those LED um, kind of under-counter <laughs> lights inside it because it did look very much like Iron Man. Uh, yeah, and so, I, so yeah, so I had the circular light like Tony Stark does. Um so, so yeah, uh, when I came back to the UK and obviously started being treated and, and assessed here, the uh, all the British doctors were fascinated by this thing because they just basically don't use anything like that here. They kind of put, put a put a, a kind of a, a, a fabric brace on and tell you not to move too much. So that they they were very impressed with this uh, piece of kit the French had knocked up for me. 
So yeah, uh, yeah you get that's that's the kind of thing you get. We were all very worried about you. That was uh, that was scary. I mean, this it, makes it, it, that makes this thing feel like nothing. Well, <laughs> you know, to, I mean, really, anything where you where you've got to have surgery is no fun. Did they did they do this under full anaesthetic? Yeah. Um, all right. Okay. So I mean, even I that in it, even that in itself has a, an element of risk to it. So you know, I, I'm I'm one of these people. I don't take any sort of medical or surgical procedure lightly. I I always say, you know, let's not yeah. make light of it. Everything has risks and challenges and everything and whenever somebody's had something like that and it's worked out okay then you know thank goodness so uh, i'm glad to hear you you're on the mend uh, and you. i hope the guy who fell off the hoverboard at least has the decency to give you some work uh well okay so that on that news that i am not working at that at the place i was working in oh right okay this is nothing to do with the hoverboard incident i hope so so no no in fact that's the first question that every single doctor asks that they that they let you go because of this accident because i guess that's very illegal yeah uh, the answer is no it had nothing to do with that um suffice it to say the job was changing into something that i wasn't fitting into so right okay i'm sorry to see that happen because i like their product but um, yeah what I was going to tell you was that the anesthesiologist was the one who spent the most time talking to me. And mm -hmm. he said, you seem a little nervous about this. I said, of course I seem nervous. And he goes, ah, don't worry about that. This is not like a flight to London. This is like a bus ride across town. <laughs> yeah. But the, the thing with <laughs> anesthesiologists is that they spend a lot of time breathing wacky gases and they're all a little bit crazy. When I, <laughs> my, my father, my father, before he retired, was a dentist and he did some work in, um, in hospitals doing kind of major dental surgery, you know, not just filling uh -huh. teeth, but for people that had teeth knocked out and jaw reconstructions and stuff like that. Uh, and so he worked with a lot of uh, anesthesiologists. And when he, when he studied to be a dentist, he, he studied at a medical school where there was guys who were training oh. to, to be anesthesiologists. He said they were all crazy, all of them to a man. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Well, this guy said he, – so he said to me, normally they put you – like for a, a major surgery, they put you very deeply under. Mm -hmm. And he said – in this case – and I actually have this mark in my front – on the front clavicle bone. Like I said, what? Now, why were they up there? Mm. And he explained that they use um, – uh, what is it when they look at babies? Ultrasound. Right. He says they use ultrasound and they find this nerve and he will inject something into the nerve that will basically detach my arm. Right. It will just go limp. Yeah, and he said, "So you won't feel the pain while they're working, so I don't have to put you under as deeply." So I think I came out of the anesthesia like within thirty minutes of them oh, turning cool. it off. Again, uh, so that's why he meant it's a bus ride, not a train, yeah. plane trip. So it was a very mild one. Yeah, but again, but having know. an arm that just flopped around like a wet noodle. Yeah, but that's that's again that's a very cool approach and uh, adds more to my uh, to my innocence of my comments saying oh medical technology hasn't come a long way. I mean that again that's kind of a cool thing to do. So well, I, cool. yeah, I'm I'm glad you're on the mend and I hope I hope you continue to improve and I hope you uh, find another gig soon and all of that good stuff. I'm looking. I have a yeah. of course I'm now now I'm on what they call in the U.S. disability. Right. Because the doctor says you're not – and I've tried to type – even typing here, I, I have to keep myself typing with one hand. Uh, you know, I, I just my arm wants to sort of reach for the keyboard and, and it hurts when I do that. Yeah. So um, yeah. even using the computer is a, is a pain, pain, no pun intended. But <laughs> so have, you, have you tried using kind of the voice tech, Siri and dictation and stuff like that? Is that something that you've ever – because it's one of those things you – most of us don't tend to 
reuse that for more than just what time is it or set an alarm or something and unless you absolutely have to and obviously having a having a, a lack of motion in your arm is a good reason to start using it i guess you know it's i, for, I always forget that that's on the mac thank you for reminding me i uh, I will try that. I haven't. Yeah. I haven't tried that on the Mac yet. And and I guess I can, I can do at least text. The text stuff is pretty decent. I know it's like yeah. on my on my iPhone and my iPad when I text. You know, I've been trying to send emails. I've been using Siri yeah. on my iPad to send emails. Mm-hmm. And it works pretty damn well. Yeah. Um, yeah. The oh. error rate's pretty. Low. It's gotten much better than it used to. Yeah. Be. Well, I, I mean, I think the the key thing with that was the uh, using cloud processing to back it up rather than the right. relatively uh, wimpy process. Certainly a few years ago, the wimpy process is in your device. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know, yeah, that's, that's kind, of, kind of interesting. So uh, what's happening with you now that I've depressed everybody? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, a, it's an uplifting story because it has a happy ending. You're, you're on yes. the mend, so that's the important thing. Uh, what's <laughs> going on with me? Um, well, this last couple of weeks, I've actually, uh, I, I work as an IT consultant, so I do an awful lot of, I, I joke with people that I write essays for a li- living because all I do is write these <laughs> reports and strategies and it's basically kind of writing things. It's not really doing hands-on computing. But uh, my, my, the company I work for split away from its main company about a oh. year and a half ago. And since then, we've been gradually disconnecting from the, the parent company's IT systems so we can do our own thing. Ah. And we, we finally completed the last step of that this week by basically switching over to our own cloud services and uh, replacing all their laptops with our own. Uh, and ah, even though we... Even, yeah, well, <laughs> this is... Even though we're a, we're a smallish company, there's only... We have about 20 full-time employees and, and probably about the same number of kind of contractors or freelancers who work with us. Um that's that's you know in the grand scheme of things that's a big that's not a big company we can't afford to have dedicated IT people so uh, okay. we have been using suppliers to do most of the stuff for us uh, but somebody needs to manage that and project manage that and kind of do some of the hands-on stuff that the suppliers don't do and that's been me so I've been doing real hands-on you know this isn't working can you fix it type computing for the last well probably since the turn of the year um, and uh, are you enjoying it well. In some respects, yes, it's been a change of pace, but I, you know, I, I'd forgotten how hard it is, and, <laughs> and how demanding people can be, because you know oh, they yeah. have an extra, and, and it's gone very smoothly. I think uh, most people are, are happy that it's it's gone without really any major outages or any anything that's huge that's been missed, which obviously is what we wanted. Um, but there are a lot of for you here. yeah, there are yeah exactly, but there are a lot of lot of niggles uh, and you know, unanticipated problems that you have to deal with and things that kind of need to be done, but I only have time to do one thing at a time. Migrating the mail was was a big job. Um, oh, and it was interesting because yes. we were going from Office 365 kind of hosted exchange, so it's exchange in the cloud, with our old company to Office 365, but but uh, you know, purchased by us rather than by the, the company. Oh, so, so even though... Locally. Yeah. Well, no, not locally. Still running in the cloud. Oh, still running. But it's a, a different instance, effectively. It's rather than having, you know, a subdomain of somebody else's system, right. it's our own. Uh, the only really good way to move mail from in that circumstance, even though it's actually moving from one part of the cloud to another, is to actually download it all locally and then upload ah. it back again via a file. <laughs> I was afraid you were going to say that. Yeah. Like, you mean you can't call Microsoft and say, hi, can you take that and move it there? Yeah. It's, it's good. Yeah. Which you would think they would be able to do. Uh, 
So um, that was that was interesting, and and obviously we have uh, users of different technical levels, and we have some users in the company who only who even though they had a PC, they prefer to use a Mac. Um, okay. and, um, so there were a whole lump number of people where I had to basically do that migration for them. So at one point I had, um, I have an, I have an old Mac pro that I use in my desktop computer in the office, uh, kind of an eight, eight core, um, eight gigabyte machine. It's, it's about eight, eight, nine years old now. Um, and I had probably five or six windows XP virtual machines on that, just running XP <laughs> and outlook. Um, just basically logged in and, and sucking down those people's mail so that I could, uh, yeah, so that I could turn it into a PST and then import it back again. So, uh, um, yeah, so I was doing an awful lot of stuff and, um, I'm, we, we could just about at the end of it now, we've just started pushing out the new laptops to people and, uh, I've, I've got to take the old ones back, maybe, uh, do a kind of a, a secure race on a few of them. They've been doing some particularly sensitive stuff. Uh, and then there's, as I say, there's a few niggly bits and pieces right. to do to kind of get, you know, get soft, last, last bits of software on a couple of templates and things like that. So that'll be early next week and then it will be done. And then I can, I can, you know, I'm looking forward to the day. I can say to people when they contact me, I can say, just ring the supplier and log it with their help desk and they'll yeah, deal with it. That's not me. <laughs> yeah. That's not because, me. Yeah, this... I actually like Office 365. It's actually a fairly decent product. It is, you know. It, except, it, it... except they keep leaving the Mac behind. Yeah, it's uh, 2016 on the Mac is different, but at least it, it kind of is supported in the cloud service now. Um, so you don't okay. feel quite like a second-class citizen like you used to. Um, well, the killer for us, when because I I managed that in my last job, yeah. was uh, delicate calendars. Didn't still don't And you call Microsoft and go, hi, uh, how come I can't do a delicate calendar on my iPhone? And they go, oh, we don't support that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, I'm sorry. You've only had how many years to get this product right? It's uh, well, because that's what we were doing for calendars. You know, people yeah. would delegate their calendars yeah. to other people. And on the Mac, it's fine. And on the PC, it's fine. And on the Android, it's fine. But on the iPhone, it doesn't work. The problem is, is that I think for a lot of these features, you, I, their attitude is we well, can always fall back to the web and do it on the web. Um, except for the things you can't do on the web, obviously, because even the web doesn't do everything. But the difficulty, uh, the real problem Office has is it's such a large project and it has so many right. different functions in it. And some people use stuff that's kind of brand new and nobody else supports. So you send a document to somebody with 2013, it doesn't work. Um, other people, and particularly in Outlook, use things that have been there for years and are kind of semi-deprecated, but Microsoft being Microsoft have never removed the functionality uh, and then you get these issues where where they they turn us oh yeah we don't support it here or we d we don't support it the way you want to use it i mean there's there's probably four or five different ways in outlook slash exchange to do kind of shared collaboration in folders in mail there's okay. there's kind of the shared mailboxes there's yeah. uh group folders there's um public folders there's a, a new, brand new uh, kind of, I've just read about last week, where a brand new kind of group um, group area. It's a bit like SharePoint, but it's hosted on Exchange. So that's four different ways of doing effectively the same function, which is have somewhere where everyone in a particular interest group can, oh, and of course you can do distribution groups as well. So it's four or five different ways. Right. Yeah, four or five different ways that everybody in a particular interest in a particular subject can kind of share email and files without necessarily bothering everybody else um okay. well which of those is the best way which of those is the 
non way that's going to disappear in the next version? Who the heck knows? Depends Microsoft won't tell you. <laughs> yeah, it depends on, it depends on who you ask. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've noticed that when I've asked yeah. questions on their forum, I'll get twelve different ways of doing something. Yeah, it and really, normally it really is odd. Yeah, normally three different Microsoft guys will give you three different ways of 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 uh, you know answering the question, and so uh, so yeah, so it's it's been it's been interesting, but everyone seems to be reasonably happy. But I I do get. I, f- I forgot how demanding people are. So, you know, you, t- you yeah. tell you tell them that, oh, this one piece of, thi- you know, you've got a brand new laptop and all this stuff on it works and this is how you do this, that and the other. And here's all the new functions and here's all the new software bits and here's how you do this nowadays to how you used to. And they, they absorb that, all that in. And then you say, oh, and this one thing, um, you know, presence in Skype for business is not quite finished yet. We're waiting for them to do something at the back end. Okay, all right, fine. And then... 25 minutes later you'll see them and they'll go uh, you know that thing you said isn't working when's that going to be working uh, yeah and then the end of the day you get an email from them saying well, that thing that's not working yet is it fixed yet well you and know you just, because just the, think... whole time you're, the whole time you're talking david their brain is going yeah i know well this is it. everything i've asked everyone to do has been given to them on a physical piece of paper with Smart. step-by-step instructions and even there you know, somebody said, well, this isn't working. I said, well, did you follow? Did you follow? Well, I, I kind of, uh, the phone rang and then I came back to, I might have missed one or two steps. So it's like, go back to the beginning and start again. But Read from you know. the top, yeah. yeah. Uh, but for people, I, in IT support, and I've done it for years, and I've even done, you know, because I've worked at a lot of startups and I have the startup mentality that's, that there's all these jobs that need to be done and no one wants to do them. So I end yeah. up doing them because I know how and, yeah. and IT has been one of them. But, but people are annoying, like, Someone will call and say the printer stopped working, so I'll walk over to the printer and it's just out of paper. Yeah. Okay, but they got a notice on their computer that their print didn't print. Yeah. Did they walk over to the printer and look? No. You know. Well, yeah, you know that's people have different levels. What what bothers me more is the people who. Uh, there's, there's, there's one person in our office who basically I know when she's having problems she sits behind me and I can hear the swearing start and normally I, I then wander over and see what's going on um, but then she'll say uh, well yeah this this isn't working so I say well did you do this this and this yeah yeah well yes I did but something popped up on the screen so I just cancelled it and went on uh, and I you know I actually kind of went to that got to the point now I said right well Unfortunately, I, I've, I actually said this to her the other day. I said, I can't, now cannot help you because the critical piece of information that helps me understand what your issue is is the thing you cancelled. Because yeah. really, there could be 500 different reasons for the fact uh. you can't access this folder or everything like that. And I don't know what they are without the error message to tell me. So yeah. do it again, and next time you see the error message, you know, write it down or take a picture with your phone and then call me and we can have a conversation. We figure out what's going on. You know, it's like, help me to help you. And, and you know, yeah. people have kind of been saying to me, so oh, you've been very calm about all of this, you know, and, and I said, well, it's the only way to get through it, you know. <laughs> I think you and Tim talked a while back about viruses on the Mac and how yeah. they required, they weren't really viruses because they required you to actually accept yeah. the installation of the virus. Yeah. And but what you're talking about is why they were a problem. People do not. I notice a lot of users. They just click. They just hit enter or click the button. They don't even read the dialogue. Yeah. Well, I think unfortunately we've been programmed ever since the beginning of computing time to 
to think that anything the computer tells us probably won't help fix the problem because we do go <laughs> get so many messages that people don't understand. They're either couched right. in language that they can't understand or they're incomprehensible. Oh, like, you oh, know, Microsoft's you. famous, oh, you, you know, uh, yeah, there's been a problem, OXFO0080722. Um, and, and you look, you, then you Google that on the web and, and it basically says this is a general failure of software, <laughs> you know, and it, so it doesn't, even though it's so specific, it doesn't actually <laughs> tell you anything. So I think people have become conditioned to assume that anything the computer tells you is probably not going to help you. So they're just going to ignore it. When, and, and of course, for them, it won't, it won't help them because they don't have the right technical skills or knowledge to do it. Right. You know, right. Um, whereas uh, sometimes <laughs> you can use that information, but other times you can't. You know, sometimes it's just... I always think when you're trying to troubleshoot a fault, it's a little bit like a Sherlock Holmes solving a mystery in that you, you actually have to you have to look at not only what the problem is and what they're complaining about, but you actually have to look at their desk and their desktop and what they're using and everything. I had There was one of this the other day where basically they, they were trying to log on to the new mail system and they weren't, instead of it, auto configuring and self-populating which is what um office 365 is meant to do it was actually right. coming up and asking them to manually type everything in and oh. they, would, they would do that and then they would click it and it would sit there for three minutes and then say um a, an encrypted connection was not available do you want to try and unencrypted and basically at that point it wasn't going to work um right. and and i was kind of scratching my head over this uh, and then i looked I, I looked at what the lady in particular was doing and she had a list of files that she'd uh, directories that she'd written down in a notepad next to her desk. So I said to her, I said, what are you doing with those? Because I recognized the file structure. She said, oh, I'm, I'm copying stuff from our old uh, data store, which was in the host company, to, um, to a USB drive. So I've got them for when we disconnect. So I said, okay, so that means you're um, connected via VPN to our old company network. Oh. Uh, she went, yeah. I said, well, that's why you can't connect to our new Office 365 because it, it's it's trying to route through their internet connection and it's not working. Yeah, and it was it really was a case of trying to identify what she was doing to because I it probably would otherwise it would have taken me 45 minutes. I probably would have ended up rebooting the computer and then it would have worked yeah. and I wouldn't have known why. You know, yeah. later on the day, two other people said, oh, we can't join the mail, and I said, make sure the VPN's turned off, and they said, oh yeah, that's right, and it's fine. So uh, yeah, sometimes I'm it is a little bit like I that. that. <laughs> I did exactly that. Yeah, I had, didn't realize I turned my VPN on on my on my laptop and couldn't understand why I couldn't connect to our own server. Yeah, it was like, and it's driving me crazy. And uh, and I did that. I rebooted and it worked fine. And it was like, okay, you know, you know the old joke about turn it off and on the engineers in the car on the the car goes over the top of the hill and the brakes go out. And, um, there's the the mechanical engineer. You know, get they get safely to the bottom, luckily, and the mechanical engineer jumps out of the car, immediately starts looking at what's wrong with the brakes, and yeah. uh, the electrical engineer he starts inspecting the electrical systems, and the software engineer looks around, and goes, "Why don't we push the car back to the top, roll it down again, and see if it happens a second time?" <laughs> right? That's a good so one. <laughs> it, so rebooting is one of those things. Well, I just yeah. reboot it, it'll go away. It's like, yeah. we, um, but my favorite story of what you were to, to talk about that. I, at Apple years ago, when I was there, they used to ask the engineers to sit and listen in on the the phone calls. People mm -hmm. would call in with problems, yeah. and it was actually quite educational because you would hear people do things that you, wow, I didn't think they, I never thought of it that way. But my favorite was this woman calls, and the guy says, "Well, what do you see on the screen?" And she says, "She goes, it says an unknown error of type one occurred." <laughs> which was a real dialogue. Yeah. And he says, he goes, yes, ma'am. How can I help you? And she goes, 
Well, if it's unknown, how do you know it's type one? <laughs> <laughs> that but that's her question. Yeah. Well, and, that's... And, and of course, I had to take the headset off because I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. Going, what a great question. Yeah, well, it <laughs> is. It just goes show that. Been... This goes back to what I was saying about error messages. You know, people have become <laughs> conditioned that they are such gobbledygook that they're not worth <laughs> not worth reading. So you just click past them. Hey there, tech fan listeners. I just wanted to briefly interrupt our discussion to remind you that you're listening to this show on the Stoplight Network. If you go to our website, stoplightnetwork.com, you'll find a whole host of differing subject styles and uh, frequency of podcasts. Everything to suit your listening pleasure. Shows include Let's Talk Photography, The Three Geeky Ladies, and of course our perennial MyMac.com podcast, flagship show of the MyMac.com website. So check it out. That's spotlightnetwork.com. And now back to our discussion. They're like people in um, people in the car who's, you know, the, the uh, low gas light has come on, you know, when the needle's just above empty and then the, the red light comes on that says, you know, you're on the reserve now. And right. uh, they'll, drive, <laughs> they'll drive up to a gas station and go, hmm, it's a bit pricey there. Maybe I've got enough gas to get onto the next one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've Why seen people death. do this. Yeah, they play like Russian roulette with the with the empty gas sack, and then every now and again it runs out, and you you kind of you think, well, you're not in the middle of nowhere. How can you possibly run out of gas? But that's because people are conditioned to say it'll be okay if I just ignore it. <laughs> and sadly, with new cars with the fuel injection systems, if you run them out of gas, it can be incredibly expensive. Yeah. Sometimes they have to be towed and reprimed at the dealership. Yeah, if you get an airlock, with the, particularly diesel cars, there used to be a, yeah. a real problem with diesels that if you ran out of diesel in a diesel car, I think the modern ones are okay now, but um, the older ones, uh, certainly the non, yeah, the non kind of common rail or they, all the, they've put this stuff in the engines now that uh, make them far more efficient. But uh, the an old conventional diesel car, I always remember saying, uh, being told that if you ran out of diesel in that, it would airlock the fuel system. Uh, and effectively, that was you know an hour in the garage to fix that, and so you you really never wanted to run out of diesel in one of those. The guy so. when I had my vet, the guy in the Chevy dealer said, you know, the computer is trying to adjust mixture ratios all the time mm-hmm. to run more efficiently. So when you run out of gas, it says, well, I you know I'm getting low. If there's a fuel problem, I'll turn this up. I'll turn this up. I'll turn this up. And then when you put gas in, it's turned up so high that it floods the engine and won't run. Right, and he said, you know, so he said, do not run out of gas in this car because it puts it in a very bad state. Uh, and so I was get... always paranoid. I never even let the light turn on. If only <laughs> there was some way of the engine to know how much fuel was in the car, and so to recognize well, it when it was. <laughs> it did. It had a. Th- it had a. You know, it was all computerized. Yeah. It had a thing on the dashboard that would say, you know, you have this much range left. So it yeah. has a pretty good idea that it's low on fuel. You're right. It's like. So let's, yeah, but those yeah. always break, right? Those always break. So, so let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about that. Brings it onto a good topic, actually. Let's talk about car range. I, I, I don't know if, you, if I've told you this. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before. That I have a, a Nissan Leaf, one of the all-electric cars. I thought about buying one of those. Yeah. I actually did. I, I, I looked at those for a long time. I really, really like it. I've had it for just over a year now, uh, probably about 14 months, um, and it's been brilliant. I've not had any problems with it. Um, it's uh, great for kind of my commuting lifestyle. I only live about six miles from the office, so, um, <laughs> you know, and, and here in Manchester, we have really great charging infrastructure. We have lots and lots nice. of charging points, uh, and even the motorways in Britain now, because we, we have the advantage, because we're a, a country the size of a, uni- of a, of a U.S. state, right. uh, you know, it's quite easy 
for us to build up infrastructure when we decide to do it. And because of our um, carbon commitments in, in the EU, uh, the government has subsidised quite a lot of electrical charging infrastructure. So all the motorways now, most of the services have um, rapid charging points that can give you 80% of charge on a car like a Leaf in half an hour. So That's you can fantastic. you can stop, you can have a coffee, and by the time you come out, the car is, is ready to go again. Um, so and I, I must ask you the magical question, Dave. Yeah. How far does it say it goes? Well, it kind of depends, and I've 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 <laughs> I've encountered this. See, I bought this car uh, a year ago last December, so it was winter time, uh, and and the, the manufacturer says you should get round about uh, 110 miles on a full charge. Okay. I was I wasn't seeing anything like that, um, and obviously it depends on what you're doing in the car and how you're driving it, and also where, what systems you're running in the car as well. If you have the heater on. It's going to make a big difference. Um, sure, because everything runs on the main battery. Yeah, but the problem is, is the batteries don't charge as well in the cold, um, and oh, they don't tell point. you that. <laughs> they I didn't even think about they that. They don't tell good you point. that. So basically, I found that that you know you lose probably about twenty twenty five percent of of your range oh. capacity in in the winter. Now in Britain, we don't have particularly cold winters. Um, you know, the, a cold a cold day here is is kind of zero degrees centigrade um or maybe slightly below and that's that's really as cold as it gets in in certainly in the part of the country i live in up in scotland it can get colder but but down here in the in the in kind of the middle of england um that's normally about as cold as it gets it would be very very unusual for it to be much much colder than that so my my range is dropping by this 20 percent in the difference between a british summer and a british winter if i was living where tim lives where you know where you can have three foot of snow, I I've no idea how the car would perform, and yet there was nobody in the dealership who told me. Oh, by the way, it's going to get less charge in winter because ha they're not going to tell you anything that might put you off buying the car, are they? But the problem is, is that the, the <clears throat> manufacturers dumb it down to the point where they come up with a number that's an average number, and then they bandy that round, and that becomes like the gospel number. But that's not true, and it's not—it's not just car companies. I mean, everyone's always done this with, you miles know, per yeah. uh, miles per gallon, um, fuel emissions. Have we just seen with the Volkswagen uh, scandal and all of that? But but not even in cars and computing. You know, the amount of space you have on a hard drive. Um, that's right. The amount it's of space formatted, unformatted, yeah, and and sometimes they'll do some jiggery pokery with the units to actually make it bump up a bit more. Processor <laughs> speeds as well. Yeah, I mean. Even the computers you buy today will have a, a stated processor speed, but modern processors don't run at anything like that. They only boost up to those speeds. They don't – most of the time, they're doing virtually nothing. So, David, you explained yeah. exactly why I didn't buy it. Right. So, so I, I really – so, so I had an incentive. So I own a Prius right now. Right. And I originally bought my Prius because I was working about 40 – my work was about 40 miles away from where I live. And California said, if you buy a Prius or any hybrid car, which was the Prius or the Honda at the time, mm -hmm. um, you can apply for and get these little golden stickers you can put on your car that let you drive in the carpool lane by yourself. Right. So the HOV lane, mm -hmm. um, which I said, wow, that, that cuts 30 minutes off my commute. So I bought a Prius. Yeah. And I've actually loved it. It does. It gets for an American car. It gets reasonable gas mileage. Yeah. Not compared to you guys over there. Uh, 
it's really funny. I was quite surprised the first time I was in Europe and I didn't see a lot of Priuses and they said, we don't need them. Our regular car, our little cars get the same mileage. Yeah. So, for, so it was pretty good. So I, so when I took this newer job that I had that was in Palo Alto, so I live in Oakland, Oakland to Palo Alto is about 46 miles yeah. to get there. And, and they now once again offer for electric cars, white stickers that let you drive in the carpool lanes and cross the bridge on the, the HOV lanes. And I mean, so it really would make the commute faster and the guy said, well, it's about 110-mile distance. Unfortunately, where I was working, there was no charging station. Right. So it won't work for you. So it made me very yeah. nervous that if I use up half the charge, and I'm assuming that's if I don't run the air conditioner and I don't turn the radio on and I leave the headlights turned off, you know, I might just have enough range to get back to my house before it runs out. And yeah. that just made me incredibly nervous to think oh. about a car that might not get me home. I would um, – we've had a couple of instances. Where, where I work, we have four charging stations, uh, charging points in the multi-story car park for the, for the, yeah. um, for the development. Where I, I work at a place called Media City, which is where the BBC is now based. Um, ah. And I don't work for the BBC, but there are a lot of offices there and all of that. So there, there's lots – it's a brand-new facility. There's lots of great facilities there and four charging pays in the car park. These things are in use all the time. Right. So – there have been times when I've wanted to charge my car and I've not been able to. Now, for me, it's not so much of a big deal because I don't, I live, as I say, I live six miles away. It would have to be pretty low for me to run out of charge on the way home. I, in fact, it's, it's so good for me that I don't even have a charging point here at home. I'm, I don't even have the cable. It didn't come really? with my, it didn't come with my car. So I actually can't charge my car at home. Um, so I'm sorry for laughing, but I didn't realize that actually. A charging cable, <clears throat> excuse me, would be optional. That well, like it's to oh, do you want a power supply? My, my car, <laughs> yeah, the, the, my car was a, I think they kind of swindled me a little bit. My car is a mid-level model with a, a, a kind of a high-capacity charger on it. and and oh. But also it was one that had been in the showroom. Uh, and then had been moved out to the lot for sale. And so they offered, they gave me quite a lot of money off it. And I think as part of that, they... Either I they lost the cable. They lost the cable. Yeah, they. In fact, what what they did is they loaned me one and then asked for it back after about four months. So You're and kidding. they made it very clear they were loaning me. And this is just a standard kind. Of, it's basically it was like a big laptop cable with a big um, uh, box on it, so I could plug it into the standard mains port. And they said, "Oh, we have a scheme. The government has a scheme where, for not very much money, you can have a high-speed charging port install your house." I've never bothered doing that because I've never needed to, and I, I don't want to you know go through the hassle so but the problem is close enough to enough charging yeah, places exactly yeah there are a lot as i said there are lots here in manchester but there are a few people who drive that we, we have a mailing list basically the car park manager every time he sees a new electric car go on the charger he grabs hold of the owner and gives them a mailing list so we can all mail each other and kind of coordinate coming off the charges and coming on the charge when we want uh -huh. to and this sort of thing you see um and yeah there was an in instant a couple of weeks ago uh, where no, a few months ago this was, where somebody who had a um, effectively the equivalent of the Chevy Volt. So okay. it, it, this is a, this is it's a, a range extended uh, electric car. So it, the Volt has yeah, an en the yeah the Volt has an engine in it, and the engine is used to charge the battery. So um, no, it's actually that's not true. So so the the gasoline engine only takes over when the battery's dead and does right. not charge the battery. Oh, it right. Okay. You. But the point is, is because I looked at a Volt yeah. too, and I was oh, like, right. why okay. doesn't it charge the battery? So, go, oh, uh, no, it's connected yeah. directly to the engine. 
but the, but the, the point is the point is in a vault is is that even if you have no charge you can still move right Correct. whereas those of us who have pure electrics if we have no charge we're not going anywhere and uh, yeah somebody came in later in the day and this guy had basically and the vault doesn't take long to charge because it doesn't have as big a battery as a leaf does had come in early in the morning and had left his car on charge all day, basically using it to park. And, of course, nobody else could charge there. And this this guy had a longer commute. He had a 35-mile commute, uh, and he needed to charge to get home. And uh, he couldn't. And uh, there was virtually a fistfight in the car park when uh, when this this occurred. So that is a real problem. And, you, you know, you need – it's more than just having the range. It's also having the infrastructure because even if you have – even if you have, you know, I suppose the range is 200 miles around the 100, so it would have fitted with your former commute right. okay. You've still got to be able to charge it when you get home every night, and you've got to be able That's to right. geared up to do that every night. It kind of means that, you know, you get home from work, you aren't going anywhere else that evening. You're not going to stay yeah. at a friend's house uh, and then maybe uh, go to work the following morning because you might not have your charger. You know, and there the are all these limitations. It, bu- it, bugged, it bugged me greatly. I mean, friends of mine said to me, why don't you have a Tesla? <laughs> that would have been said, one well, very expensive solution. Yeah. To start with, so there's a good reason right there. But yeah. even if money wasn't the issue, I said, I have, a, I have a hard time buying a luxury automobile that I couldn't like drive to a lake yeah. or drive to Los Angeles without having to stop three times. Yeah. But I, I want to go back to this issue you were talking about. This is something I have suggested, actually, even in some of the car parks here in, in – uh, like in Mountain View, and that that they have meters on them, okay, mm. so that you get you have to move your car after a certain period of time because that's exactly what happens. Someone comes in, they plug in their car, and they leave it there all day. And yeah. they they're fast chargers, you know. They they do the, their work in a in an hour to two hours, depending on the car. Yeah, you should be required to move your car. Absolutely, yeah. No, I completely. Right? In fact, the ones here, the public ones, actually have a plate on that says maximum. Stay time, I think, is four hours, and you could get a ticket if you stay on them for longer. So you can't get a ticket. That's what I was can get a ticket, but a, but the light. the one in the private. This is a private car park, so um, uh, you know no, that wouldn't happen there. Um, it was basically the guy, the guy who wasn't <laughs> moving the vault was um, I, I think they called it they called the Ampera here, but the, he he basically was a he was in TV production with the BBC, and it was very inconvenient for him to come out, so he just would would <laughs> wait, and unless somebody complained to him, he wouldn't move. And normally, what would happen is on the mailing list, somebody else would come and move first. Um, uh. So he so he he was just basically relying on somebody else kind of covering his backside for him. This particular day, nobody could because they're all charging. The leaf takes about four hours <laughs> to charge off one of these spots. Oh, so okay. you kind okay. of you know you get the morning, you get the afternoon, and that's it really. So uh, yeah, so yeah. here in California, you can imagine electric cars are everywhere. Yeah. Uh, on my drive to work, I'd probably see a hundred of them. Yeah, you know they're just at, so the charge stations are just. They're impossible to get to. Uh, there was one in our new office when we moved. We actually moved into a new building, uh, new building for us. And there were four. It used to be owned by GM. Right. It used to be a General Motors um, research station. So there were four chargers right in front yeah. of the building. And I, I'd come in in the morning. You know, I didn't need to charge. But I put going through my head, what would I do? Yeah. Okay? And I'd come in and there's four Teslas plugged into these four chargers. You know, there's a lot of Teslas in Palo Alto, 
Uh, and they'd be there all day. They wouldn't move. And that's what I kept saying. They need to have a little red flag that pops up. And I, we were jokingly saying that the charger should start taking power out of the car <laughs> if you leave it there more than four hours. Yeah. So you'd have to go move it, right? <laughs> yeah. This is, you know, this is this is part of the problem. It's the, the way it is at the moment, if with the number of cars there are on the roads and the, the amount of charging infrastructure, it's probably more or less imbalanced, but it's not capable as it stands of scaling up so that everyone can have a car like this. You you need right. to solve some major engineering challenges. The cars need to have better range. And also the, the charging times need to come down. You know, if you can charge every time you plug in in half an hour, then you can really be draconian about kicking people off. You know, you can actually then make parking wardens, park meter maids, and um, perhaps something even in the charger itself kind of basically spit the, spit the plug out after half an hour um so that somebody else can can plug on you know and then you, can, then you can design them differently but you need to be you need to think about those problems for this technology to become mainstream um right. because at the moment agree, it just doesn't scale yeah, yeah. And, and and of course the problem is the batteries right so i every time i see these fast chargers we were talking about hoverboards yeah. recently. You've been, I saw you see the news there. These things are blowing up. Yeah, yeah, no. It's on fire. So two people lost their lives the other day that it caught fire in their house while they were asleep, mm -hmm. charging overnight. And it's a, so I worked on, in the power group for a little bit at, at Apple when I was there, when they were first introducing lithium ion batteries and we blew the corner off of several computers, not charging them properly. They don't want to be fast charged. Lithium-ion batteries, it's very dangerous yeah. to the battery. You can cause something called thermal runaway. Yeah. So the big problem is the battery technology has to evolve once again to a design that lets them charge faster. Because I agree with you. You know, you think about, okay, so there are, I don't know how many volts the batteries are. They're, they're probably at most 12-volt cells. I don't know what they use. And I've got 220 or 110 volts. Can I just shove it in there really fast? There's got to be a way to, to do this, but it's a chemistry problem, right? How do you yeah, do it without exactly. blowing and, up the car? And I've seen with mine. I mean, you can. I explained this to my son because he, he, he came into work with me one day and we, and we put the car into charge. It was a weekend. Um, and when we came back down again, we were there for about three and a half, four hours. He was surprised the car wasn't fully charged. And I explained to him what happens is I said, look, I've noticed that the higher the, the higher the charge level in the car is, the slower it charges. It starts to slow down. And I said, it, right. it's basically, it's, you know, if you think about it, it's, if you imagine trying to put, put water into a box. I said, a, a plastic box has a little bit of flex in it, but not a lot. What happens is when the, when the box is empty, and you're and you're uh, you know kind of like a, a you know one of these uh, plastic water containers that they use you know with a tap on it when that yeah. when that is empty and you put a hose in the top you turn the hose on and the water comes flowing in and and it charges as far it, the water goes in as far as the hose can deliver it yeah if that box <laughs> is full and you're trying to get the, the last point, right. little bit of water in and maybe a little bit more to give it a, just a bit of pressure. Yeah, it, that's really hard work. I said it's exactly the same with the battery. The the fuller it is, yeah, the the more power you need to put in the fa to to get it go at a certain rates. So what happens is it slows down. And it, it, with these fast charges, you get the motorways here. They actually say to you, say don't you shouldn't use them all the time because it will it will damage the battery if you use them all the right. time. Um, there are some people who do. Yeah. They are, you know, in fact, there are guys from Nissan who do. I've spoken to a couple of guys who actually work for Nissan driving these cars on motorway stations. And they say, oh, yeah, we just, you know, we're put, basically Nissan gives us the cars 
and we are expected to use them as kind of salesmen or commuter types where we're up and down the motorway all the time because Nissan wants to see what it does to the cars. You know, and, and so it's so it's a way of them funding the research rather than having consumers do it. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. and so 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 he says, yeah, I, you know, the, the one time I saw this guy he said, oh, I, I left from um, I left from Scotland this morning, and this is my fourth or fifth charge of the day, and I, I'm on the way down to London. You know, so he was he was kind of you know really living it, but obviously I wouldn't imagine his the batteries in his car will not be as good as probably the ones in mine, which have uh, been it has to it has kindly. to hurt them. Yeah, it, it has to hurt them. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, it's, I don't know. You only get so many cycles too, right? So is a fast charge a cycle? Oh yeah, it's, a, it, it's probably a worse cycle than a normal cycle. But yes, it yeah. is a cycle. So eventually, they will start to lose capacity. Um, so the person who talked to me about the Tesla, he drove it to L.A. So I am about, oh, I'm going to say 500 miles, the Bay Area to, to Los Angeles, and. Uh, the, the the big freeway that runs right down the center of the the big highway freeway that runs right down the center of the state mm-hmm. uh, you can normally get you can normally drive it at 75 to 80 miles an hour there are a few highway patrol cars on there they're far and few between ways tells you where they are anyway yeah. so yeah. Uh, so you can get there you know if you if you push it you can get there in five hours right you can you can really push it so um, I, so in my Prius, it's one tank of gas, roughly, mm-hmm. you know, it's tanking a little quarter. Uh, and so I go get there pretty quickly. It's actually sometimes faster to drive than it is to fly yeah. just because you get in your car and you drive and that you don't have to have the hour before and then the waiting on the taxi strip and then the flying yeah. time and waiting for your life. Anyway, um, I asked him, how long did it take you to drive your Tesla down there? And he's got the one that supposedly goes 200 miles. So mm-hmm. he kind of hummed and hawed. And it turned out it was like nine hours. Yeah. And I said, why was it nine hours? And he said, well, you know, I, drew, I drove the first 180 miles and then we pulled into a place and we got a quick charge. But it, the quick charge is only like a half capacity, mm-hmm. another 100 something miles. So he gets in, he drives another 100 miles. He stops at the next one. And each of those stops is 35 minutes to an hour. He says, of course, there was no station opened. So we had to wait for a station to open. And it just, he said the infrastructure just did not support doing it as fast as he would like. Now yeah. I've heard, heard that's improved greatly. Yeah. <clears throat> How do they charge you? Do you pay? Do you pay oh, well, at the moment, this is, this is, this is, you know, another benefit of the cards at the moment. At the moment you, you get a, an RFID card from, there are three or four different companies who operate schemes in the UK. Yeah. Um, but the one I'm on at the moment uh, just charges me ten pounds a year, and then all the electricity I want. Oh. So I'd, another reason, oh, so another reason that I don't charge at home is because uh, if I charged at home, I'd be paying for the electricity. Whereas with this yeah. public charging, I don't. Now I, again, that's going to change, I'm sure, at some point in the future. But at the moment, yeah, I, I get. Uh, I've done just over six thousand miles in the car because I, I don't really often do long journeys in it for the sort of reasons right. that we've been talking about. And and also as well, we have good train infrastructure here. I don't need to drive long distances very much. I prefer not to because I can work on the train. I can't work in the car. Oh, yeah, you got that thing called yeah. public transportation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That is that is interesting. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. Um so so yeah, so I, I've I've done six thousand miles. I actually had a look on the um website of the company who gives me this card and they actually have a record of every charge i've ever done with them on it um and i actually calculated 
you know, how much I would have paid in electricity had I done all that myself and, and how much I would have then paid to do those 6,000 miles in fuel. Um, so the electricity would have cost me probably about £180 over a year. Okay. Um, which, whereas How's the that fuel, compared to gas? Well, the fuel would have been about £800, so it was okay, quite so a substantial saving. Even if you had to pay yeah. for it, it's a great saving. Exactly, okay. yeah. Uh, and really, £180 to run your car for a year is... is I mean, it's less than I pay to insure the thing, so it's uh, no, it's not, it's not something to get too That's wound up about at all. Yeah. So you know, the the economics make sense. We we don't have to pay uh, road taxes with with these cars at the moment in the UK. Oh. Um, nice. So so that's a saving of depending on how big your car is of anything between 100 and 400 pounds. Um, we don't have to pay a lot of the uh, congestion toll charges that they have. So if you want to drive into London, you don't have to pay. Uh, the ten pound a day charge to go into London, so, so that's like the HOV thing here, right? Yeah, okay, so that's really yeah. But it's, okay. instead cool. instead of being lanes, it's actually kind of a ring around the entire of central London. If you want to drive yeah, into central London, yeah, you've got to you've got to pay this charge every day. So there's a lot of advantages to it, and you know I get a lot of questions, and a lot of people are very interested in it. But it does it really does have to fit with your lifestyle. If I if I lost my job or changed my job location and had to drive you know, 30 miles every day, then I probably would have to change it for a regular car because I don't think it would work for me. Um, or at least a hybrid of some kind. Uh, right? Yeah, well, and I've, I've in had... In case, a hybrid doesn't... Yeah. No, no, a hybrid is fine. I've had, I've, I had the, the the second and third generation Priuses, so I'm well familiar with okay. those. Um, but... Um, I mean, I've been and, looking at the Volt. I like the Volt idea. I think the Volt is the smartest one of them all. They have um, they have one here, the, a BMW called the i3. I know this, that. Yeah. yeah, we see them occasionally here. Very funny looking car. Yeah, it, it is. It looks like it's made all out of plastic. Yeah. It, well, I think it, it probably is actually made all out of plastic. I think it's fiberglass <laughs> panels or something. But they they do a version of that with a range extending engine in, which is kind of like a, <gasps> a lawnmower engine that's buried in the boot floor. Uh, and and it I read about that. Yeah. That's true. I thought and that it, was a joke. Yeah, and it it has a kind of a three gallon gas tank, um, and that can double the range of the batteries. Uh, and basically, that will you when you when it kicks on, it just charges the batteries for you. So um, so that gives you kind of a two hundred and twenty mile range. Um, so I might I might look at one of those when I come to replace the leaf. Um, because uh, it just would be nice to have that flexibility and just you know not have that range anxiety when you when it's getting really low and you're not sure whether you're going to get a charge or not. And that's the, that's the word range anxiety. That's what's yeah. kept me from getting an electric car. It just yeah. Uh, you know, I keep thinking my wife bought it. She just bought her new car. And she bought the little Prius, as I call it, the baby Prius, the Prius C, which I always thought the C stood for compact. Someone told me it stands for city. Um, I I'm, they don't have that model here. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, one. I'm gonna have to look that one so up. So it's now. a it's a mini Prius. So it looks like the you have the Prius five. The square you, back we, yeah, we have we have the what well, here where that was the regular Prius, and then then okay. we had we also have the 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 bigger Prius, which is the uh, they do one here that's a um, that's kind of like a it has an extra two seats in the back, a seven seater. So it's oh. like yeah. So imagine taking imagine taking no. So there's. Uh, the typical Prius has a kind of a fast back mm-hmm. curve. Yeah. The Prius Five here, whatever they call it, there is kind of square back, like a mini yeah, SUV. I see. This is the. Um, they have a they have a car here. Basically, the, instead of having the Prius C here, they have um, different models with the same hybrid technology. They have the, the Yaris uh, and the. Um, oh, the Yaris. Okay. Yeah, and then there's another one, the the one next model up. I forget what it's called. It's a bit of a so the, well, the, the equivalent the of the Corolla. C, so. 
Oh, sorry. The equivalent of the Corolla, whatever it is, is oh, they okay. also have a hybrid version. Yeah, here. I've seen yeah. that. Well, so the Prius C looks like the Lexus R2000, the little. Mm-hmm. So it basically looks like they took the Prius 5 and washed it in hot water, right? Yeah. It's it's just shrunk. It's tiny. It's small. Um, although it's it works really nicely and it has all the it has more gadgets in it than any car I've ever seen. Uh, and so she bought that because she had the same problem that normally she just drives around town. So she thought we thought of an electric car for her, but occasionally she has to drive a little further, and she had the same range anxiety that I did, that it was the places she goes is just on the edge of being doable if everything went right. Yeah. And I just don't trust, like you, I th- the same way it tells me that her car should get 60 miles to the gallon and it actually gets more like 50. Yeah. Uh, I don't trust that when it says it's going to get 110 miles, it's actually going to get 110 miles. Yeah. You know, yeah, on downhill with a back tailwind or something, you know, huh. it, it, that bugs me. And so it just makes me nervous. And so I like the idea of the... The BMW, and I like the idea of the Volt, which actually is good looking this year. They changed mm-hmm. the style. Uh, that it has a gas engine that'll at least get me to where I'm going. Yeah. That would get me over the anxiety problem. Seems to me that one of the things that, that perhaps they could do is is combine the, the batteries with a supercapacitor. So you could, um, you could, you know, a supercapacitor <laughs> would charge very quickly, and then they could have that charge the batteries more slowly. <laughs> Um, so or you at could, least use that when you need the power from the regenerative regenerative system, so it's available. Well, yeah, also put also put yeah, so you can put that in straight away. Though the one of the nice things about the, the even the Leaf, which is not a sports car by any stretch of the imagination, is if if you put your foot down in that, it goes like a scalded cat. I mean, it really. <laughs> Yeah, because I, it, because you you have no gearbox, so you know you no have gearbox and electric no, motors are huge torque. Right? Exactly. So yeah, you put your foot down and it takes off. I mean, it, it certainly pulling away from a standstill for the first a few hundred yards, it will beat most cars. Obviously, they'll then yeah. then start to come back, you know. But uh, but yeah, it's well, good so for... a friend of mine let me drive his Tesla the other day. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, uh, which I had never I had you know I had never driven in the sedan model, mm-hmm. and he bought a brand new sedan beautiful car gorgeous automobile i mean it's yeah talk about trick you know you he hands me the key and you walk up to it and it kind of hands you the door handle yeah as you walk <laughs> up it pops out uh and you get in and, and there's no buttons you don't turn anything on when you're inside with the key the car's on when you're outside with the key the car's off which i thought was kind of interesting there's no turn it on turn it off so anyway we get in this thing we drive i drive it around town so he says well let's let me show you how fast it is so we get onto a freeway on ramp and he goes just put your foot down and it slams you into the seat this yeah. thing does 1.2 g's yeah <laughs> you know zero to 60 in in under three seconds this does, car. and does like, that one have the the different modes they have a ludicrous mode yes. and a high speed mode and which yeah, is so he had yeah. it in sport right and then but it did something that i never actually thought in my lifetime i would get to do and so I'm driving on the freeway and this little indicator comes up on the screen. I said, what's that? And he goes, oh, that car is telling you that it can self-drive here. <laughs> really? Yeah. So he goes, yeah, do this, this, and press that. So I do it. And he says, now you have to keep your hands near the wheel. That Tesla wants you to be ready. Hmm. And the car starts accelerating and decelerating and following the lanes. And I'm in traffic. It's not exactly an empty freeway. Yeah. And it's driving along perfectly. And it's just... And and I was like, wow, you get, this is really it's really odd that the car's doing itself. I said, what if I want to change lanes? And he goes, well, just put the turn signal on. Mm-hmm. So I hit the turn signal to left, and the car 
pause, you know, it stays where it is for a second, then it speeds up and pulls into the lane to the next to me. And I, and I turn the turn signal off so it won't do that again. Yeah. And I, and I was like, whoa, self-driving car. And I never thought I'd ever in my life actually be in one. Yeah. Very cool. And, but so it hit a part of the freeway where it had just been repaired and the white lines disappeared and it popped out a pretty loud warning to tell you to take over. Cause I'm guessing from what I can figure out, this thing does radar to detect cars around it, you know, like all the parking systems yeah. and expensive cars do, but it also seems to have cameras that follow the white lines. Yeah. And I think that's how it knows how to steer. But that to me was the coolest technology I've played with in a long time. That is. And uh... You know, I think, I think the fact that Tesla are constantly pushing out new features their cars as well is is cool. I, the, the, apparently, they've they've got one now where it will um, you you hit a button on the remote or, or on your smartphone and it will kind of drive itself from where it's parked, pull right. around to the, pull front to the front of your house on its own. Yeah, uh, I've seen and then be sat there waiting for you. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's it's you you can get out of it and it will go park itself. Yeah. And then when you come out, you press the button and it unparks itself and comes back to you. And I yeah. thought, wow, it's so much for valets, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Put them out of a job. Park that car for you, sir? No, I'll let it do it itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll it's end up being in the in the gasoline ghetto over in the corner of the car parking lot. You know, <laughs> it'll be covered in graffiti and, uh, well, you know. Picture in your downtown London, you need to run into Harrods. Yeah, right. right you yeah. just get out, and it just it just, just get out, and yeah, you it just, just goes around the block for you. Yeah, exactly. You do, it doesn't <laughs> need to park; it just drives around London until you're done, and then it comes and picks you up. <laughs> That's probably what's going to happen. It, well, why would you can't find a parking place? Right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you, in, in London, you can say, so even if you can find one, you can't afford it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, so, yeah, yeah, I know. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it just keep driving around. That's funny. It's an <laughs> exciting time, though, because this stuff is changing so quickly. Um, yes. You know, I mean, the, the the thing about the leaf that amazes me, and I say this to people sometimes, I said, you know, when, when I was growing up, the only electric vehicles you ever saw were occasionally, if, like if you went to a warehouse or something, you might see kind of a, an electric forklift. Um, okay. And, and, uh, and, and then there, there was... You used to see there the was vehicles that you could get for kind of disabled people, kind of little bubble cars that were electric. Ah, 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 yeah, right. kind of yeah, a, the little scooter things. Yeah, yeah well, even before before even those came along, in in Britain, you used to get this little blue one seater bubble car that was um, effective was virtually prescribed to you by the NHS if you were had a particular disability. Okay. No, well, no, you wouldn't have done. It was very much a British thing, um, and okay. those were electric, and they were designed to allow people had disabilities to kind of run down to the shops and back and that sort of thing. And then we had something called, we used to have milk, uh, public milk deliveries in the UK. So yep. um, we had a, what was called a milk float. And it basically was a, it was a truck with milk, bottles of milk on the back. And those were always electric because they would drive around in the morning, very early in the morning before people got up and they didn't want them to have an engine. So because of the noise. So you would see oh, these. Very smart. Now, but these things were, you know, bear in mind, this is the seventies. They they did about all of them did about ten miles an hour. That it's Wait, still I'm looking at this blue car. It's three wheels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of it online. Yeah. by the way. So yeah, the bathtub they call yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was Sorry. it was a crazy thing, you know. So um, oh, we had a, you know we had a lot of socialist government in the seventies in in the Britain. So that's where these things came from. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so you'd have something like that and. 
that was kind of the pinnacle of electrical technology for vehicles. The fact right. that we can have a, you know, it's still amazing me. You can get enough technology and power into a, a car that, provided you're not within the range limits or anything, provided you stick with the range limits and everything, it's a normal car, but it's completely electric. You know, it, it boggles my mind that you can have a car that can perform like any other car on the road. Um, in terms of, you know, uh, acceleration and speed and even do the most ways and everything, and yet has no petrol engine at all. It amazes right. me that we're capable of doing that. We used to call them car simulators, right? Yeah. Because that's the part that amazed me. Even the Prius, when I said that, uh, it was a car simulator because it drove. You, I mean, this thing had an electric engine and a gas engine, and they were changing all the time, and it didn't have a gearbox that you were used to. Yet they made the car f- drive and feel exactly like an old gas car would. Yeah. I mean, even to the point where you took your foot off the, the brake, the car would creep forward. Yeah. That was designed in. It, an electric car won't do that. No. By itself, right? It's no need to. But that's what people expected from cars, right? Yeah. From automatic transmission cars. So they actually simulated, you know, they, in software, they make these things simulate driving like what you know. That part impresses me as well, too. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think the only thing we ever saw electric vehicles were golf carts. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which, uh, again, I believe golf carts nowadays are, are quite tricky vehicles. They can uh, <laughs> do lots of amazing things compared to the old ones. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's all... It's, all, uh, it it's cool technology. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, a nice time to be alive. So, um so what you so you got the Prius in the end. So are you have you you got that on the lease for a few years now before you decide to switch something else? I bought it. I bought it out. All right. Okay. Um, I, and it's ten years old now. And knocking on wood again, it's uh, it's still like I'm was driving here and working back. So uh, in in commute traffic, and I'm getting fifty miles to the gallon on it. So you're still ten, getting that ten year after old. ten years. That's so that's pretty yeah. good. Because um, obviously the kind of issues we talked about with battery kind of degradation of these you must you must have that in your prius as well and yet it's yes, not, not enough to uh to affect the mileage i think it does because it charges differently now and yeah. I, it seems to the battery seems to run down faster but i've you know i took when i took it in for its last service i asked them to run a battery test on it and they said oh you have about 88 percent capacity all like, right really yeah. <laughs> okay you know it's like i'm not changing it just to change it it's uh i have one weirdness and i don't know what it is and they can't find it so I live on a hill. So mm-hmm. in the morning, I drive mostly downhill for the first 10 minutes. And that takes the char- battery charge in the Prius to full. Yeah. And for some reason, when the battery hits full, the engine goes, it just, it just revs up. It mm-hmm. doesn't make the car go. Yeah. It just revs the engine for like three minutes. That is strange. And the guys at Toyota just scratched their head. And like, well, it's not, it's not accelerating? No. Uh, okay, well, we don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, what annoys, Thank you. <laughs> what, yeah, going back, we'll go full circle now because now we're back to the kind of the IT guy thing again. <laughs> you know, whereas yeah. what annoys me about that is the fact they don't know what it is. It should not be an excuse for them to send you on your way and say, okay, yes. well, don't worry about it. It should be, well, we need to really troubleshoot this. What could it possibly be? But they're not prepared to do that because no money in that. <laughs> well, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. So it only happens when you drive downhill to charge it, right? Yeah. So I left it there over – and when it's cold. It's like when you yeah. first turn it on. 
So I told them that. So of course they keep it overnight. Yeah. The guy drives it the next morning. It never gets fully charged because the dealership is in the flat. That's right. So I said, no, you have to drive, drive up the hill. You have to start from the top of the hill when it's cold, give it to someone to take home. You know, mm. you have a mechanic that lives in the hills, have him take it home. So when he comes down the hill in the morning, he will hear it happen. Nope. They don't do that. Right. So they never heard it happen. So their answer is, well, it didn't happen for us. Yeah, which it kind of implies you, you either you don't un- well again I guess it's the IT guy thing you either don't understand what you saw and heard, <laughs> right, and therefore it's aren't telling us answer. properly, or it's uh, a crap answer. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just, I guess know. I guess your only solution then is is be to to uh, mount your phone in your car with the video running on you, and then uh, in the morning and then take the video and then show them the video. I went a step further than that. I have one of these little gadgets that you plug into the OBDB, whatever that connector is, onboard diagnostic something. Okay, Uh, OBDC or something. Uh, So I and I and it has a tack, so it's Mm -hmm. the engine RPM. So I did that. I had my wife hold the phone. Yeah, and I drove and. And I said, okay, it's going to do it right about now because I know about where on the hill it does it. Yeah. And sure enough, the tack vroom, just shoots way up to like, you know, 3,000, 3,500 RPM. My speedometer isn't, she can see the speedometer at the same time. It's not changing speed. Uh, you can almost hear it on the, on the car. It's, you know, it's so quiet anyway. It's hard yeah. to hear. And we showed that to them and the guy goes, well, we can't make that happen. You know, it is the IT guy. Well, you know, my screen flashes red when I'm sitting here. Well, I've never seen it happen, so it must not happen then. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, it's like, come on, I have better things to do than to come to – I mean, Apple was like that for a while. When uh, my computer – I had a Mac that would just not it, – it, I'd be working on it, and it would just go pop and turn black and shut off. Yeah. And you had to, you had to literally wait for the battery to drain. It, it's the days, you know, when you had replaceable batteries. Yeah. I take the battery out and unplug it and leave it sit for a while and then plug it back in. So I take it to the genius bar and they can't make it happen. So therefore it didn't, it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, come on, really? I'm spending, I'm spending four hours here three times now, a couple hours each time. Do you think I have nothing better to do than to bug you guys here at the genius bar? Trust me that what I'm telling you happens, happens. And finally I got one manager who said, look, we're just going to replace the motherboard and the problem went away yeah but it, it, it's so frustrating when you can't you know the, the car will never misbehave when it's at the mechanic it, that's just a yeah. rule of that's right like when you go to the doctor my arm hurts does it hurt now no okay i can't do anything sorry <laughs> <laughs> well we know in that in your case that wasn't the case at least so <laughs> but you know what i mean it's like when you go to the doctor the symptom goes away <laughs> yeah yeah that's right yep uh, well okay it's been you know what uh, we we're running quite long now so i think we'll uh we'll call it a day for this week it's been a pleasure talking to you um well thank you for allowing me to jump in and join you for, that's quite all right i miss doing it with you guys and so i'm happy to jump in whenever one of you is missing uh well yeah and or or maybe maybe sometimes we can do a a, a show with you on with me and tim because that's always fun as well so, i would love uh, to do that again that was, yeah that, you know once in a while it'd be fun well, you know well, i know it, i know it gets difficult sometimes but uh We'll uh, we'll look to make that happen over the next few weeks. That'd be um, great. I, well, I hope we you. Uh, yeah, and you. I hope you uh, continue a good your recovery, uh, and uh, yeah, keep in touch. Let us know what's going on, and we'll speak to you soon. I mean, thanks very much. You bet. Thanks.